I'm often asked how I select the stories for this podcast. And rather than engage in a serious bout of bean spilling, I thought I'd demonstrate with tonight's story. It's cold where I live, bitterly so. And those of you who've been listening for a long time know that I'm a chronic whiner when the cold comes on. So, to still the chattering of my teeth for long enough to read to you, I needed something to get my vicarious socks off, so to speak. And according to Weatherman Google, it's 77 degrees and cloudy in Buenos Aires right now. So, a nice summertime Argentinian romp is where we should go, naturally. So there you have it. Sometimes it's nothing more than an unhealthy bit of childish escapism. Good evening. It's Sunday the 31st of January 2010. And it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. The Sorrel Cult by Benito Lynch. Mario was tired of Tiger, a game of his own invention, played by pursuing through the treetops his brother Leo, who was supposed to defend himself bravely by using green figs as projectiles. So Mario strolled to the backyard gate behind the vegetable and flower garden. Under the noon sun, Leaning against one of the old posts, he looked up and down the street, waiting patiently in the hope that his little brother, still eager to continue the fight up there on the highest branch of the fig tree, would get tired in his turn of taunting him with shouts of "'Stupid carrot!' and "'Obstinate mule!' Suddenly an unexpected sight filled him with happy surprise. Turning the corner of the garden, a man was entering the lane and slowly approaching. He was mounted on a big-bellied mare, which was followed by a tiny colt. Say! And Mario, his eyes wide open and his face flushed, walked over to the edge of the path to get a better view of the procession. A colt. To understand his emotion, one must figure out what a colt meant to Mario at this time in his life. What it meant to have a colt of his own. That is to say, a real horse proportioned to his size. It was his hobby. His passion. His constant dream. But unfortunately, he knew from experience that his parents didn't want animals in the garden because they ate plants and scraped the bark off the trees. Way off on the ranch, they said he could have anything he wanted, that is to say some docile little pony. But here in the garden, back of the house, no animals were permitted. That's why Mario was going to be a good boy, as usual, just watching with suppressed desire the passing of that little miracle. 
but unexpectedly, something extraordinary happened. When he reached Mario, without stopping his trotting mare and hardly turning his head, the strapping rider with sullen face under his red beret let fly at Mario a stupendous offer. Say, kid, if you want this cult, you can have it. I'm taking it to the field to kill it. As he listened, Mario felt the ground heaving under his feet. His eyes grew misty, all his blood rushed to his head. But alas, he knew all the laws of his home with such finality that he didn't hesitate a second. Red as a tomato, he refused, shamefaced. No, thanks, no. The robust young fellow shrugged his shoulders slightly, and without adding a word, continued along under the sunlight that filled the street. He whisked away with him, following the weary pace of the mare, that gem of a sorrel colt, which trotted gracefully after. With its fluffy, light-coloured tail, it flicked the flies off as if it were a big horse. Mama! Mario rushed headlong toward the house like a colt, without speaking to his brother, who, unaware of anything new and still mounted on his fig tree, took advantage of his brother's hasty passing to pelt him with some figs. Mario arrived under the arbour, blurting out, Oh, Mama! Oh, Mama! The mother, busy at her sewing, seated in an armchair under the young vines, got up startled. Holy Virgin! What's the matter, son? Nothing, Mama. Nothing. Just that a man... Well, what, son? What is it? A man passed with a wonderful little colt, and he wanted to give it to me. What a scare you gave me! The mother smiled with relief, but he, excited, continued without listening to her. A wonderful colt, Mama, a sorrel colt, small, this high, and the man said he was going to kill him, Mama. And now another amazing thing happened. Contrary to all logic and to what would even seem normal, Mario heard his mother say to him in a grieved tone, Really? Good heavens! Why didn't you accept? Silly boy, we shall soon be going to the ranch. In the face of that extraordinary, unexpected and astounding remark, the boy opened his mouth wide. But he was so crazy about the colt that he didn't stop for questions. With an, I'll call him then, as excited and resonant as a neigh, the boy darted for the door. Be careful, son, shouted the mother. Careful, my eye. Mario was running so fast that his brother couldn't hit him with a single fig as he flashed by. When he dashed out into the street, the glare of the sun dazzled him. No colt, 
no mare, no man to be seen anywhere. But presently his straining eyes made out over there in the distance the red beret, dancing to the rhythm of a trot in the middle of a cloud of dust. The clods of dry mud made him stumble and fall several times. His emotion almost choked him. The hateful yapping dogs of the laundress got in his way. But nothing mattered. Nothing. Nobody could stop Mario in his mad race. Before he had covered a few hundred yards, he managed to reach with his voice the ears of that supreme master of his joy, who was going along dejectedly and on his humble <sighs> who was going along dejectedly on his humble big bellied mare. Tsst, tsst, man, man. On hearing him, the strapping young fellow stopped his nag and waited for Mario, frowning. Well, what do you want? The colt! I want the colt! blurted Mario, almost choking, and at the same time he stretched out both arms toward the animal as if he expected them to receive it like a star package. The man's face wore an uncertain expression. Fine, he said. Lead him off then. And he added quickly, looking at the boy's hands. Didn't you bring a halter or anything? Once more, Mario flushed. No, I didn't. And puzzled, he gazed all around him as if he expected to find halters hidden among the weeds. Well... You sure are dumb as a sausage? The man dismounted and twisted off a bit of wire that happened to be swinging free by the thorn hedge. In the meantime, the child watched him in excitement but without any regret. For if a great king once offered his kingdom for a horse, certainly Mario could, without loss of face, accept an insult in exchange for a colt. Only Mario could realise what this sorrel colt meant to him, although he did damage plants. He bit, he kicked, and he refused to go when it suited him. Once he even yanked a lock of hair from the boy's head with one bite, thinking no doubt it was hair. But how nicely he ate sugar out of his hand and neared when he saw him in the distance. This colt was his love, his worry, his aim in life, his light of the spirit, so much so that his parents had acquired the habit of using the animal as a means of controlling the youngster and making him behave. If you don't do your lessons, you can't go out this afternoon on the colt. If you act like that, we'll take away the colt. If you do this or if you fail to do that. Always, the colt standing watch over the misconduct of Mario like the flaming banner of an invincible army in the midst of battle. But at the same time, the colt was a delight. So gentle, so fond, so cunning. 
The horse-breaker of the ranch, a skillful leather-braider, had made him a marvellous halter. Little by little, the other ranch hands, because they were fond of Mario or wanted to outrival one another, had made all the other equipment, till now the boy had a pretty riding outfit that aroused everyone's admiration. For Mario, he was the finest of all colts, and the handsomest creature in the whole world who some day would be a great racehorse. His conviction of this was so firm that when his brother Leo joked and called the sorrel Little Donkey and other complimentary names of the sort, these sounded like true blasphemies to Mario. On the other hand, when the ranch foreman said, after squinting at the colt, In my opinion, he's going to grow up into a beauty. Mario found the foreman the most understanding and intelligent man around. Mario's father had decided to plant a garden in the grounds near the house. But it happened that this hateful colt, this is what some were calling him now, even Mama, perhaps because he stepped on some new chicks, this creature seemed opposed to the idea of a garden. This could be gathered from the determination with which he attacked tender little plants each time he was let loose. So that Mario had been officially notified that it was a rule never to leave him untethered at night. Still, Mario forgot, had in fact forgotten a number of times, so that finally one morning his exasperated father said to him, shaking his index finger a lot and emphasising by that rhythm the gravity of his warning. The first day that darned colt ever again damages a single plant, that same day we'll turn him loose in the open country. Oh, oh, in the open country, turn him loose. Could Mario's father possibly know what such a threat meant to the boy? One would have to be eight years old like him, think the way he does and love his sorrel colt just as he loved him to estimate the enormity of such a menace. The open country turn him loose. The open country was for Mario something infinite, unfathomable, and to send his colt out into that vastness seemed as atrocious and inhuman as throwing a newborn babe into the sea. It was not surprising, therefore, that Mario had stopped being careless, and a whole long week now had passed without the infliction by the colt of the slightest hurt to the tiniest flower. Outside, a radiant February morning was dawning. Mario, lying across his bed with his feet against the wall, was confiding to his brother Leo some of his plans for the brilliant future of his sorrel colt. Unexpectedly, his mother came into the bedroom. Now you're in for it, she said very excitedly. Yes, you'll catch it now. Have you seen your colt? Mario turned red, then pale. What's wrong? What's happened, Mama? 
Your coat is running loose in the garden, and he has damaged lots of things. The whole world was tumbling down on Mario. But how can that be? He managed to say, "How?" I don't know," his mother answered. "But you can't say I didn't warn you till I was blue in the face. Now your father." But I tied him up. I tied him up. And while he hastily put on some clothes with trembling hands, everything about him seemed murky, as if the room had filled with smoke. It was an awful disaster. Never before had the cult managed to create so much devastation. This time, he had not only trampled the lawn, but had even carried his mischief to the flower bed. Here, apparently scraping with his hoof, he had torn up by the roots a number of the rare carnations set out carefully in a graceful diamond pattern. My goodness, what you've done! What you've done, baby! And as in a dream, and not knowing what he was doing, Mario knelt down on the moist earth and started feverishly to set the carnations upright, while Baby or the Rascal stood by motionless, his head lowered, the halter slipped off his muzzle, and an expression of cynical indifference in his whole attitude. Like a sleepwalker, as if he were stepping in a soft wool-stuffed mattress, Mario led the colt by the halter along the wide way with its border of poplars. At its end yonder was the large cattle grave with its white posts, and outside extended the terrible open country in its desolate immensity. The poor boy's head throbbed with the rush of blood to his brain, and he saw things hazily through a cloud. He still heard ringing in his ears the catastrophic admonition of his father: "Take that colt and turn him loose in the open." Mario did not weep, because he couldn't shed tears. But he walked along like a mechanical toy. He walked in such a very queer way that his mother watched anxiously from the garden. The fact was that for Mario, the other side of that cattle gate with its white posts was the end of everything. It was the vortex into which, in a few more seconds, all his being was going to tumble. His very existence swallowed up with his sorrel colt. When Mario had covered half the distance, his parents could not bear it any longer, and she moaned, nervously pressing the father's arm, "That's enough, John. That's enough." All right, call him back. But just then, Leo rushed off quickly. The mother uttering a piercing scream, and the father ran desperately in Mario's direction. There, close to the cattle gate, Mario, in his canvas smock, had collapsed on the turf like a bird winged by a bullet. A few days later, 
when Mario could finally sit up in his bed, his parents smiling, but with eyelids red and faces pale with so much anxious wakefulness, forced the sorrel colt into the bedroom, one tugging at the halter and the other pushing hard behind his rump.